What is up? You guys doing all right tonight? Awesome. I love the energy. Hey, I wanted to tell you guys, I am so proud of you. Um, last week I was in the lobby and I, I met somebody that was here for the first time. And here's one of the first things that they said to me when they met me. They said, everybody here that I've met is so nice. And that is because of you. Like every week God is sending us people who are new. Every week God is sending us people that it's their first time. And that's because of you. One of the, the principles that we really um, build upon here is just this reality that, that we don't build for you, we build with you. And the community that God is building here, it's being built with you. And every week when I meet somebody in the lobby and I have a conversation with them, I just love hearing the fact of, I mean, two things that I hear every week. Um, how did you get here? How did you hear about us? And somebody goes, this person invited me. The second thing is I hear everybody here is so nice. And so I just want to tell you guys, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of the fact that you live out what it means uh, to be winsome. You live out what it means to represent what Jesus would want us to represent um, every week. And so thank you guys for doing that. Um, I am so proud of the way that you guys are living that out. Now tonight we are continuing our series called Vital Signs. And tonight we're talking about this specific idea of longevity, which is really around this idea of what does it look like for us to be able to love our bodies the way that God loves them so we can serve God um, for as long as we possibly can. And I know when we talk about physical health, if I can just be honest, even as a guy, when we talk about physical health, it can be one of those things that can be really awkward. And so I just want to address that right at the beginning and tell you I've got two main goals tonight. Normally I don't give you my goals at the beginning, but I want to give you the two main goals that I have. The first one is for you to leave here loving your body the way that God loves it. The second one, amen to that, I love that. The second one is, is for you to use your physical health to pursue God's purpose for your life now and later. So I have two really main goals tonight that I would say, I hope that we can leave here loving our bodies the way that God has loved them and serving God with our bodies the way that he desires for us to serve him. You know, when I think about this, there's really two enemies that primarily are working against us tonight. And these are huge enemies. A lot of times, in fact, I think they exist probably every day in our lives and every week, but I think they work differently sometimes um, on nights like tonight as we look at this idea of um, physical health. And the two enemies are shame and pride. So shame and pride, it's kind of, they're two sides of the same coin, if you really ask me, like shame and pride. A lot of times in our lives, shame works against us ever finding healing, and pride sometimes can work against us finding that same healing. And so shame and pride um, are two enemies that are working against us. In fact, in my own life, when it comes to physical health, these have been things throughout my life that have worked against me finding God's plan for what it would be for me to be healthy and whole spiritually, emotionally, physically. You know, when I was um, seven years old, I can remember this moment vividly in my life when I was seven and I went to play football. I went to play Pop Warner football and they put me on a scale. And that's all I remember. I don't remember exactly what I weighed at seven years old, but I do remember what they said. So they put me on this scale and they weigh me and they go, oh, you weigh too much to actually play in your age group. Instead, we're going to have to put you with the older kids who are two years older than you, and you're going to have to play Pop Warner football with them. And then they said something else to me that I remember hearing, and I thought, this is so weird. Like, you're not going to let me play with the kids that, like, are my age? Then they said the second thing to me, they actually, I don't know how we got away with this back then. Like, this was stuff in the, in the early 90s, so you could do anything in the early 90s. But they just put, they put tape on my helmet. And what the tape was, the tape actually identified me as somebody that couldn't carry the ball because I weighed too much to carry the ball. Apparently, they thought that I would be a danger to anybody that was in front of me. And so they put this tape on me, and I remember feeling so awkward. I remember feeling this weird sense, even as a seven-year-old, of shame. I remember feeling that. I can, I can even remember the feeling that I had right now as I tell the story of being moved from one age group to another age group, and all my friends are going, why are they moving you up there? And I was like, because I'm so good. 
It's like I was making all of these excuses that didn't really exist just because I felt so ashamed. Then I remember a couple years later, um, and I've never really told this to a, a crowd before, but I remember a couple years later when um, my parents, who I really believe they meant well, they sat me down and they talked to me about something that was unbelievably hurtful, um, and they meant well, but they said something to me that really, to this day, I'm still trying to work through. They simply said these words of, Chris, we think that you actually um, are addicted to food. And what they were trying to communicate is, we think you have an unhealthy relationship sometimes to food, but I remember just how much that scarred me. And what I've never really talked about publicly is the fact that through high school and college, it actually created a very unhealthy relationship for me and um, physical health. Um, it actually created an obsessive, compulsive re relationship with those things. Um, I've never really talked about that publicly. I never really talk about it really outside of with my wife. Um, but the truth is it created this really unhealthy balance where I became obsessed with physical health. And I became obsessed with man, how low can I get my body fat percentage? Like it was more than just what I could bench press at the gym. It was how low can I actually make my body fat percentage, sometimes in a very unhealthy way, depleting myself of things I probably should have been eating simply so I could manipulate my body to be able to accomplish what I thought it should accomplish because I originally had this idea where shame actually made me think like none of this really matters and then pride made me think like this is the only thing that matters. And when we think about those things, I remember back to thinking what I thought was a picture of health and I thought um, this was a picture of health. Like, uh, I was like, that's a picture of health. Um, and then I went from, no, that's not a picture of health. This is a picture of health. And if we're honest, if we're honest, sometimes culture dictates for us what we think is physically healthy. And I remember seeing both of, of these and seeing other people in culture at the time and thinking, man, that's what's physically healthy. And the more you research what a lot of people do to look physically healthy by what the world would say is physically healthy or the culture would say is physically healthy, you actually realize a lot of them, if they were to sit down in front of a counselor, they would actually be diagnosed with some type of eating disorder or some type of um, obsessive compulsive disorder with their body. And there's sometimes the most unhealthy people. I remember reading a couple articles um, about Chris Hemsworth as he was getting ready to play Thor. And Chris said these words that I'll never forget. <coughs> he says, <laughs> the whole time I was training and the whole time I was getting ready, it was actually the most miserable experience of my life. He said it was like hell. I'm like, well, that sounds fun. He says it was miserable. He says, I would not recommend what I did for anyone else to do it. And here's a reality that I think we have to make sure we wrestle with and the tension that we have to make sure that we wrestle with is physical health does not always equal what cultural, culture says is visible health. What's visible is not always viable. Sometimes a picture that our culture paints of what is most healthy is actually the most unhealthy thing that we can actually do. And if you go back throughout history and you study culture throughout history and you study throughout different um, time periods of what society and culture said was healthy, it changes a lot from every, um, every kind of decade from centuries, if you go back to the 1700s, which culture said was healthy then, was different. What we thought was healthy in the 1800s was completely different. What we thought in the 1900s was completely different. What we think today is completely different. And 30 years from now, I can promise you this, there will be a different definition of what health actually is. What, what we have to wrestle with is that physical health does not always equal what culture says is visible health. And we have, to, we have to make sure that we run towards this idea, understanding that because shame and pride work against us, shame tells us our bodies don't matter, and pride tells us that it's all that matters. And we see this pendulum a lot of times. In my own life, I went from shame to pride, from shame to going, none of this really matters, to pride telling me it's the only thing that matters and being obsessed with it, See, shame tells us our bodies don't matter, but pride tells us it's all that matters. We see that not just um, when it comes to like exercise and physical health. We see that sometimes even 
um, when it comes to what we do with our bodies when it comes to sex. Like shame a lot of times when you talk to people who have had some type of sexual failure in their life and they can't get out of the pattern of it. A lot of times they just kind of accept this idea of, well, what I do with my body doesn't really matter that much. And don't get me wrong, that, that's not, that's not a, a truth that most of those people really believe. It's just a story that shame tells them. Shame tells them none of this really matters what you do with your body. And then we see the, the flip side of that where pride will tell us it's all that matters. Now, in church, we don't really talk a lot about how the physical, how our physical bodies matter in the kingdom of God. We just don't. Now, why is that, that we don't really talk a lot about why our physical bodies matter in the kingdom of God, why our health matters in the kingdom of God? Well, some of it has to do with um, some traditions that happened in the early church or some some teachings that were around the early church. Um, so Gnostics, although they weren't Christians, they had a lot of influence on some of the early church fathers. Some of the philosophers that existed of that day sometimes influenced some of the traditions of the culture or sometimes the things that people actually believed about truth. It didn't, um, change, it didn't necessarily change truth, but it did influence truth. So Gnostics kind of taught this idea that there was a physical world and a spiritual world and that the physical world didn't really matter. The spiritual world was all that mattered. So what you did with your body didn't necessarily matter at all. So if you were um, getting drunk all the time or you were um, treating your body through sex or any of those things, that it didn't necessarily matter um, what you did with your body because you just needed to address it with the spiritual. Now sometimes it actually went to the other pendulum, which was that the body is just purely evil, so um, you should just abuse it anyway because there's nothing good in it and there's nothing that can be redeemed in it, so you should just lean into the spiritual. The other thing that oftentimes influenced the lack of teaching on the physical body was that when we look at scripture, a lot of times a term that's used in scripture for body is actually the term flesh. And when we look at the term flesh, there's three different meanings in scripture for the word flesh. So when we study in the original language, we know that there's three different meanings. The first meaning is actually talking about your physical body. It's talking about your arms, your limbs, like everything that exists there. And that's neither good or bad. So it doesn't have necessarily a bad nature. Um, it's kind of neutral, um, but it is something that's been created by God. It's been created in the image of God. The second term that we see in scripture for flesh um, is this idea of um, ethnicity and culture. Um, so the, what your race would be. And it's this idea that we see in scripture, it will say like th this flesh, you're of one flesh or these different ideas. And then the third one is a one that sometimes um, that we can get mixed up with the other two that can give us a negative view of the physical, which is simply our sin nature. So when we, when we look and we see the word flesh in scripture, it's describing three different things. It's describing physical body, it's describing ethnicity, and then it's also describing our sin nature. And what the Bible is going to continually ask us to put to death is our sin nature. What the Bible is going to continually ask us to address is this idea that we have a sin nature that must ultimately be addressed. So when we look at scripture and we see that, sometimes that can be confusing. And so sometimes um, Gnostics would use some of those things to actually teach this idea that the physical body didn't matter. Sometimes in the early church traditions, they didn't always know how to handle the physical body. But we, we understand now in scripture when it's talking about these three ideas of flesh, it's talking about each one of those individually. And so when it's talking about putting to death the flesh, it's talking about putting to death the idea of our sinful nature. Now, we know that ultimately God deeply cares about what we do with our health. In fact, we see that Jesus came as um, fully God and fully man in a physical body. So he came dwelling in the same thing that you and I dwell in. But we also see in scripture this idea that one of the things that Jesus did when he came was he actually healed people of physical ailment. In fact, Matthew 11, 4 through 6. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Matthew 11. How many of you got your Bibles tonight? Awesome. You guys are doing awesome with that. So Matthew 11, if you don't have a Bible, we do have some for you at the back that we would love to give you. But Matthew 11, I want you guys to lean in with, with me on this. Matthew 11 um, says these words. 
Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. So there's two things that are happening here. The first is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. This idea that Jesus would come and the deaf would um, have, have um, hearing, that the, the blind would be given sight. But the second thing that we see here is what I really want to hone in on tonight, is this idea that Jesus is actually doing something that we see him do often um, in the Gospels. In fact, one-fifth of the physical activity that Jesus does in the Gospels actually surrounds itself around him healing some type of physical ailment. So one-fifth of all physical activity that we see Jesus doing um, in regards to people is him healing some type of physical ailment. Why is that? Well, Jesus came not just to save people, but to also pave the way for the restoration of all things. So in Genesis 3, sin enters the world, fractures the way that the world is supposed to work. When when sin enters the world, it fractures the way that everything works. In fact, in Romans, it says that the earth literally, literally is yearning for the return of Christ for when it will ultimately be restored. So when you see earthquakes or you see any of those things happen, um, it's actually it's a result of the earth being subjected to the fall that happens in Genesis chapter 3. And because that happens in Genesis chapter 3, one of the things that we see Jesus ultimately doing is he's coming to redeem people, to buy them back to a relationship with him, but to also paint a picture of this idea that he's coming to restore all things back to the way that they should have been before sin entered the world in Genesis 3. So when we see Jesus come on the scene and he's healing these people, it's both fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy and also a shadow of, a, a, a shadow of what will ultimately come. It's a shadow of him saying, hey, I've come not to just bring the redemption of heaven, but to also bring the culture of heaven to here on earth and to paint this picture of um, when all things that ought to be will be, to paint this picture of the fact that I created everything in Genesis 1 and it was good and it was complete and it lacked nothing. But in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, it fractured the way that the world was supposed to work. So Jesus is ultimately coming um, to give us this picture of this idea that someday we will be in heaven and we will have no physical ailments. You will never wake up and your back will hurt. You will never wake up and your knees will hurt. Y'all are too young. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Like you will never wake up. Think about this. You will never have a cold. You'll never have a cold. You'll never have a stomach virus. Look, we all know this. When we aren't healthy, we yearn to be healthy. I don't believe that there's, I don't believe anybody at 2 a.m. when they have a stomach virus and they're puking on the toilet is an atheist. Because it's impossible when you can't stop throwing up to not be like, oh, God, save me. <laughs> Nobody's an atheist at 3 a.m. when they're puking because deep down inside when people are sick, they know they weren't created for that. They're going, I yearn for something better. I yearn for something better. And so what Jesus is painting is he's painting this picture that he cares deeply about our health. In fact, Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, um, he, he says it this way. Tim says, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, or death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. And then he says these words that aren't on the screen, but they're powerful. He says, his miracles are not just proofs that he has a power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus's miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. What an incredible picture that we get in the New Testament of this idea that Jesus ultimately cares about those who are hurting and those who are sick and the idea that he's come to um, paint a picture of this ultimate restoration that will come. This idea that all of us will be given um, new heavenly bodies that have no illness, um, that cancer won't exist in heaven, that none of those things that, that sometimes can 
can get in the way of our health and our wholeness will actually exist. See, God cares about our health because he, he created us. God cares about our physical body because he made us. In fact, in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. <coughs> King David, he's having this moment with God, and I love um, just this revelation that he gets. And we've probably heard this quoted before, but, but I really want you to read this. And I really want you to think about it as you. We have a tendency when we read the Bible to read ourselves out of the story. We have a tendency when we read the Bible to go, well, that was for somebody that isn't me. That was for like other people. But one of the, the practices that I'm trying to get really good at is reading myself into scripture. Is going, God, like, like you ultimately, you've, you've written this um, both for everyone, but also for me. And so I want you to just read this. Um, imagining that God is saying these words to you and imagining that these things are true about you. For you formed my inward parts, Psalm 113, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Listen. The only one the one who made you is the only one who gets to label you. And this is so important. This is so important. Because a lot of us, we may not realize this all the time, but the label that we're, we're wearing sometimes determines the life that we live. The label that we wear determines the life that we live. Some of us, we've believed lies that the enemy has said about us or other people have said about us, and it's determined the life that we're living. It's determined the things that we're pursuing. It's determined the destiny that we actually think we can have. And there are way too many lies that the enemy wants us to believe about ourselves. Sometimes we believe that there's healthy people and unhealthy people, and that puts people in categories. And we, we, we do that by saying, well, these people over here are unhealthy because, like, let's look at them. And these people over here are unhealthy. Those are not labels that God has given us. The labels that God has given us are fearfully and wonderfully made. The idea of fearfully made is simply this idea that God had a holy moment when he made you. God had a holy moment when he made you. Fearfully, it's this idea of reverence. That the moment when God was creating you was a reverent moment. I want you to think about that for a second. That the, that the God of the universe who created everything, who placed every star where it is, who holds all things together, says that when he looked at you personally, you can put your name in that. He said that you were fearfully made, that it was a holy moment for him. And way too often we've allowed culture or the enemy to label us in a way that God never intended for us to be labeled. The second thing that it says is that you were wonderfully made, which just means that he set you apart. So it was a holy moment when he made you, but he also set you apart as holy. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And the only label that you should wear in your life is that it was a holy moment when God made you and that God set you apart to be holy. God set you apart to be other. When he created you, it was different than creating everything else. You're the only thing that bears the image of God. Nothing else bears the image of God. 
And I'm sick of an enemy telling people who they are. I'm sick of an enemy labeling people who they are. I'm sick of culture labeling people who they are. I'm sick of even sometimes us labeling people who they are. When the only label we should be giving to one another, the only label we should be receiving is the one that was given to us by the one who made us. And when he looks at you, he says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, some of the, the early church fathers, they said that, that just the existence of a thumb on you was proof that there was a God. Because it's so incredible. Listen, the more we understand about science, the more we understand about the fact that just the very existence of a human being is an absolute miracle. The way your body works is different. It just is. There are so many things that when you look at science and you understand it, like you are a walking miracle. And way too often we've allowed other people or the enemy to, to give us a label that God never gave us. See, my body and my purpose matter to God, so they should matter to me. I was reading this, um, this Christian um, author and podcaster, Annie F. Downs, and she said something that really stuck with me. Um, she's on this health journey where she, she recognized that she needed to make some changes in her life, but she defined it this way, and I thought it was a really good way to define it. She said these words. She said, ultimately, that she doesn't want her body to give out before her purpose gives out. She says, I don't want my body to give out before my purpose and I recognize that's kind of weird to say to a room full of 20-year-olds because you don't, like, you have some, like, you have some aches and, like, your, your back might hurt every once in a while and your knees might hurt. But the older that I get, the more my body hurts. And the more I start to think about, like, hey, you know what? I don't necessarily care, like, if I've got abs by, by April. Like, I don't really care about that. I just, I just want to be able to be, like, physically active. Like, I, like, I'm serious. The older I get, it's amazing. The older you get, the less, like, goals you actually have about, like, all of those things that really don't matter. And I can say that because I'm older than you. Like, the older I get, the more I don't care about those things. The more I care about things like, man, I just hope that, like, my back's still good 25 years from now. I hope my knees are still functioning. And I get what she's saying. She's saying, hey, you know what? I realize that I don't want my physical health to give out before my purpose gives out. Like, I want to do everything I can to join God in this, this idea that he's restoring me. And we know this, that some people, their bodies will give out, but their purposes never will. She's not saying that if her body gives out, she has no purpose. That's not what she's saying. Because let me tell you this, your purpose will always um, be greater than what you're able to do physically. But what she's simply saying is, she's saying as much as she can control, which all of us do have some control, she's saying, I want to pursue physical health so that way my, my physical body does not give out before my spiritual purpose. And I just love the way that she put it. See, my health should help me pursue my purpose. Like God's made us um, physically capable so that way we can pursue the purpose that he has for our lives. In fact, the, the last thing that that verse said, that the psalmist said, was this idea of that he formed for you, ultimately, the days before you. It means that he's got purpose for you. So it, it's ultimately saying that you were fearfully a holy moment that God created you. Then it's saying this idea that, that God ultimately set you apart from all of creation. It's a holy moment when you were created holy reality of who you are and then he's saying that he set you aside this idea of purpose that he has purpose for you in fact ephesians 2 10 um, says this that you are god's workmanship created in christ jesus to do the good works that god has prepared for you in advance that word workmanship is a word that we take um, in the greek um, it would be poetry um, and what i love about that is is poetry is one of those things if you write poetry um, you select every word so carefully. Any poets in the room? Like, oh, we got like three? We got, we got some songwriters. That's, what, that's a real question I should ask in 2024. We got any songwriters in the room? 
So everybody thinks they're a songwriter. Um, I got a YouTube channel. Catch me at my YouTube channel, right? Everybody thinks they can write music in 2024. It's actually pretty funny to me. So you talk to people. You're like, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, I'm an executive at Lockheed Martin, but the real thing I want to tell you about is I've got this song hustle that I'm working on. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad you got that job at Lockheed Martin because you're not moving in with me. So <laughs> I'm just being, I'm just being honest. If you're called to it, go for it. I'll support you. I'll give to your GoFundMe page for your first album. So, um, but it's simply this idea that when God designed you, um, he selected everything about you. There's nothing in your life that's an accident. Like your personality, your DNA, your physical makeup, the way that God created you is not an accident. And he created all of those things so that way you could step into your purpose. So that way you could step into the destiny that God actually has for you. You see, our health should help us pursue our purpose. Our health should help us move towards pursuing the purpose that God has for us. If our health isn't helping us pursue our purpose, um, I'm going to make a bold statement, but if your health isn't helping you pursue your purpose, um, it's an idol. God gave us our health and our bodies God gives us our bodies so that way they can be a tool to be used for him and by him to love people, to serve his purpose, to build the kingdom. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, because God created you and you are a treasure. But sometimes we can treat ourselves as if we, we are the only thing that matters. And we can treat ourselves as if, um, like the only thing that matters, and I've seen this, I've seen this in my own life, where sometimes I treasured my physical health more than I treasured my spiritual purpose. And that's all I want to say gently, because this plays itself out both um, with vanity and also um, with laziness. That sometimes we, we idolize our comfort, and sometimes we idolize our vanity more than we should. And I just want to say this, that the hard thing about an idol is this, is anytime somebody tries to rip an idol away from you, it can be unbelievably painful because an idol is ultimately anything we build our lives on that isn't Jesus. And what I want to say gently to you is simply this idea, if you're building your life on either vanity or comfort, the danger in that it will never actually produce the joy that God has for you. The hardest thing about an idol that isn't Jesus is it always promises something that it can't deliver. And so if vanity is what you're pursuing, it promises something that it can't deliver. If comfort is what you're pursuing, it promises something that it can't deliver. See, our health and our body is given to us by God to pursue our purpose, both now and later. Now, I want to give you five really practical steps that you can take to do this. Um, pursue your purpose. Seriously. Serve. We have amazing opportunities for you to serve here. There's amazing opportunities for you to serve in your community. Serve. As much and as often as you possibly can, serve. God has given you your physical body and your health to, to serve him. And, and if you're in here tonight and you've got some type of health issue that, that's holding you back from some of those things, you can always start somewhere. You can always start somewhere because I want to make sure that I reiterate that, that if you've got some physical health issue, whether um, that's a result of ultimately the fall in Genesis 3, um, that doesn't mean you can't serve. It just simply means this, that like sometimes we recognize you, you may be limited in some capacities and that's okay. God honors the heart and God honors the pursuit of purpose. In fact, I, I think, I, I look at people who, you, you know, I've seen with all of these different physical ailments who are simply going, I'm going to serve God as much as I possibly can, regardless of what's happening to me physically. We see the Apostle Paul say this. He says that he's wasting away outwardly, but inwardly he's being renewed. And so we can still serve even as those things happen. It's just simply this. If God has given you health, it's a gift and we should use it. Pursue your purpose. The second one is exercise. 
And look, I recognize this is a spiritual talk. Like, why are we talking about exercise? To quote the prophet Allen Iverson. Practice? We're talking about practice, man. You got to understand Allen Iverson. All the basketball people in Rome are like, I love this. So, but exercise. And here's what I'll say about exercise, because I, I think it looks a lot of different ways. I, I'm not saying you got to go, you got to go sign up for, you know, a crunch fitness gym membership, and you got to go, like, go hang out with the gym bros. Like, you guys know, you guys know who you are. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be physically active. Start somewhere. If you're not exercising currently, make a goal to say, man, I'm going to try to get 10,000 steps. And here's why I say that, because exercise, um, we, we know in the Bible, um, exercise is one of those things that sometimes God uses um, to talk about spiritual disciplines. But we also see where he, he talks about this idea that um, physical exercise is of some value, but spiritual exercise would be worth more value. So it's this idea of, yes, we should be physically active, but ultimately we should know we should be more active spiritually than physically, but we also shouldn't necessarily neglect the physical. We shouldn't neglect exercise. There's all of these things that happen, these beautiful chemicals that God has placed inside of your body that come alive when you exercise, that will make you more happy. There's a lot of evidence on this science, uh, scientifically that when you exercise, it actually produces chemicals in your body that make you happy. In fact, I'll just be honest. If I have to go, um, I had some health issues last month, and I wasn't able to go to the gym, and I was miserable to be around because I didn't have, I wasn't exercising. I didn't have the, the chemicals in my body producing, and I'm like, I'm like mopey all the time. The, the third one is eating healthy. And look, that, this does not mean that you can't go out to eat, although your bank account would appreciate it. It's like $25 to go to Taco Bell now. I'm like, what is this? This is robbery. Y'all are robbing me. Y'all are holding me up at every cash register across the city of Orlando. Just take my money. You don't even have to rob me. I just give it to you willingly. Like, I just spent $25 on some Taco Bell? What world is this? Will Jesus come back? This is an injustice that needs to be remedied. Um, that might look like drinking more water, eating whole foods that aren't always processed. Just take some steps. It's, it's about gradual steps. I'm not trying to guilt anybody tonight. I'm not trying to like, force anybody you know, to, to go on one of these crazy diets that are out there. I'm just saying like us taking one step towards this idea that God has given us some amazing ways for us to care about our bodies like, and in, in, in actually doing those things. Um, the last two, I want you guys to know, I'm terrible at these. I'm with you on this. I'm trying to remind myself that these are important. Um, healthy sleeping patterns. I used to joke that my life was fueled by caffeine. I used to tell people all the time, like, like I am sponsored by caffeine. My, my life is sponsored by caffeine. Because I, I just like to go, go, go. Like, I, I just really do like it. I don't like sleeping. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one of the weird people in the world that hates sleeping. But did you know this? The Bible actually says that God gives rest to those he loves. It's just a weird thing. Like, if I feel like I'm loved by God, I should learn to like sleeping some. There's all kinds of research out about sleeping. In fact, um, one of the things when, when um, people who are analyzing athletes and they're trying to do draft picks for the NFL or for um, NBA or for any type of athlete or Olympics, one of the things that they're looking for in that athlete to determine whether or not they're going to be successful is actually good, healthy sleeping patterns because of what it produces, this, this renewal. Sleeping is one of the ways that God has given us that actually renews our body, restores our body. And I need you to know, I have failed at this majority of my life. I, I have horrible sleeping patterns. Um, I love to stay up late and my schedule makes me wake up early. I say makes me. I don't have a choice. I'm a responsible adult, people. I'd like to sleep till 11, but I can't. And so for me, one of, the, one of the takeaways for me, even as I was preparing for this, was, Chris, you got to get some healthier sleeping patterns. And then the last one is just listening to your body. Um, I've been horrible at this my whole life. Um, it, when I was in my 20s, I actually had like three um, discs in my back that were actually... Um, slipping or degenerate. I had, a, I had a back issue where I had a rib that just kept slipping in and out. And I just kept ignoring it. I was like, you know what? It's cool. I'm fine. 
I'll just, I'll just take a cup of Tylenol. It'll be fine. And I just kept ignoring it. Um, my whole life, listen, my whole life I've had stomach issues and I just ignore them. Like, I'll be fine. And now I'm like 39 going to the doctors and they're like, why didn't you ever get this checked? I was like, I don't know. I didn't have time. Like, and one of the things, if I could speak to you as somebody that's a little bit further ahead, listen to your body. Like, your body really does communicate things to you. And, and sometimes, look, and don't Google it either. Like, don't WebMD this stuff. Like, WebMD will be like, you got two options. Take a multivitamin or you're dying of cancer. Like, it's, it doesn't make sense. You WebMD these things. You're like, oh, my gosh, Google is lying. There's got to be an in-between. And just listen to your body. Like, like if your body's communicating something to you and, and there's unhealthy seasons, like actually respond to those. God would want you to respond to them. Listen, loving myself the way that God loves me means I care for myself the way that God cares for me. It's, it's that simple. And tonight I want to, as I've been preparing for this, I've been praying, God, don't, don't, don't let guilt or shame keep anybody from a next best step. Don't let guilt or shame keep anybody from a next best step. Because this is ultimately what this is about. This is ultimately about us recognizing that if we're going to love ourselves the way that God loves us, then we should care for ourselves the way that God cares for us. God cares deeply about every area of your life. I talked about this a couple weeks ago when I talked about emotional health. There's no area of your life that God doesn't care about. There's no area. God hasn't come for some of your life. He's come for all of your life. And I recognize that, I mean, this topic, it can split a room really fast. This topic can put people in categories. I'm not here tonight to put anybody in a category. I'm simply here tonight in hopes that we might be able to lean into the fact that loving ourselves the way that God loves us means that we care for ourselves the way that God cares for us. And that we would understand that, that ultimately God wants us to be healthy. I want to join with this echo of heaven of this idea that, that when Jesus came, he was, he was painting this picture of this idea that he came to restore all things to the way that they, they, they should have been before the fall. And he's painting this picture of the way that all things will be. And that someday I'm going to have a resurrected body where none of those health ailments actually exist. Where I can eat donuts. I don't really know if I'm going to be able to eat donuts in heaven. There will probably be no processed food in heaven. I'm just kidding. I want you guys to want to go to heaven. But it's just this reality that we should care for ourselves the way that God cares for us. And we should take um, steps to move towards that. And, and I would simply just, uh, the way that I want us to end tonight, may seem a little bit weird, um, but it's holistic. I just want us for a moment to think about how God cares for us and think about what God has said about us. And here's why this is so important. Um, I'm, I'm in my, I'll be 40 next year. And, whoa, I saw some people look like, you're not 50? Um, But this is so important for me because I'm in my 30s, about to hit 40, and one of the things that I've wrestled with over the last couple of years is just, man, what does it really look like for me to care for myself the way that God cares for me? Like, not just spiritually. Like, I think I've always really been able to go, spiritually, I'm going to care for myself the way that God cares for me. But I've been on this journey the last couple of years. I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago like of me really caring for myself emotionally and realizing God cares about those areas of my life. Me realizing that God cares about my, where I am mentally. And then just this journey of realizing that God really cares about me physically. And he doesn't walk me, want me to walk in shame. He doesn't want me to walk in pride. But what he does want me to walk in is wholeness. And the goal of the Christian life is that we would move towards wholeness. And I really do think that starts with us seeing 
ourselves the way that God sees us. You know, I, I say this often, that the two most important things about you, um, the first one is what you think about when you think about God. And that we get right a lot intellectually and theologically. But the second most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God thinking about you. We don't talk a lot about what God thinks about us and the way that God sees us and the way that God values us and the fact that you are a prize, the fact that Jesus came to redeem all of you, not just some of you. We don't talk about the way that God has pursued us. We don't talk about the value, the fact that the Bible says that we are the apple of God's eye, the fact that he says that we are his workmanship, the fact that he says that he had a holy moment when he made us. We just don't talk a lot about in the way that God sees his children. And in a world that labels us constantly and that puts us in categories constantly, I just think it's so important that the people of God start to, to begin to really allow what God says about them to be the thing that defines them. So I'm just going to ask that you would do this. Um, I'm going to ask that you would bow your head where you are. And I simply want you to do this. I want you to just have an honest moment with God. And the first one is, I simply just want to say, God, would you help me see the lies I'm believing about myself? Just right where you are. God, would you help me see the lies that I'm believing about myself? Just ask them. Maybe if you've got a journal, you just want to take that journal out as you're praying that and, and write those things down. Just say, God, would you help me see? Would you reveal to me? second thing I want you to do is I just want you to say, God, would you help me see myself the way that you see me? God, would you help me believe that no matter what lies I've been told, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made? God, would you help me believe that I am your workmanship? God, would you help me believe that you have a purpose for my life? God, would you, would you heal me from lies that have been said to me or categories that I've been placed in? Would you heal me of that? God, would you rewrite the story that I've been telling myself? God, would you help me believe that you've prepared good works for me to step into? And then the, the last thing I want you to pray is I want you to pray um, that this would be a community that would label people the way that God labels us. I just want you to pray collectively with me. God, that we would be a community that labels people the way that God labels us. That speaks truth in love
God, that speaking truth and love, the only time that that would exist is not when we're, when we're speaking hard truth, but also when we're speaking edifying truth. God, would we speak life-giving words to one another? Words that build each other up, that encourage each other into our purpose. God, would, would you give us a heart for people all across Central Florida who have been labeled, knowing that you have a label for them? God, I pray for this room. God, I pray that this room um, would know how deeply loved they are by you. God, that they would know that you created them fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are your workmanship. God, I pray that they would know, God, that you have a plan for their health that doesn't involve vanity or comfort or wholeness. And God, you want all of us every day of our lives to leverage everything in our lives, not just our health, but everything in our lives to pursue your purpose. And God, I pray that you would be build a community that is loved by you so we can love others. God, would you help all of us step into the purpose that you have for us? Jesus, we thank you that you're a God that has a plan for us in every area of our lives because you love us. God, help us care for ourselves the way that you care for us. It's in your perfect, in your precious, in your holy name we pray. The name of Jesus. Amen. If you're having a moment with God, you're welcome to continue to have that. You're welcome to sing. Sometimes singing can bring healing. If there's an area of your life where maybe tonight you're just walking through it and you're struggling, Singing sometimes is, is, is a weapon that we can use. It's, worship is a weapon that can help us reject the lies of the enemy. And so I just want to encourage you in this moment, no matter what's happening in your life, to respond the way that God is calling you to respond.